Hey, all of you beautiful humans. Welcome back to another episode of the Search for Serotonin podcast, a show about releasing the stigma surrounding mental health and finally finding your own happiness. I'm your host, Carolyn Farrick, and I'm sharing my most vulnerable stories around my own mental health journey in an open and authentic way to help you feel less alone in your struggles. We all deserve to be happy and we don't need to find happiness alone. So welcome to the search committee. This week, I am joined by April Adams, who is an emotional health consultant. April has developed a unique subconscious model combining her expertise in brain retraining modalities with her empath background to help those going through trauma, resentment, emotional triggers, and self-sabotage. So we're going to talk about how you can achieve emotional peace in minutes rather than years, and then we'll be discussing the differences between conscious and subconscious work. So April, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I've I've been really excited. Yeah, I was checking out your Instagram this morning and I just have to say, (laughs) I love your content. Your reels were like making me smile. I just loved your energy right off the bat. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Well, thank you. I I always love to hear that. You know, it's a labor of love creating those. (laughs) It's not an easy process. It takes a lot of re-recording and pausing and swift switching around. So I totally feel your pain. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. So do you want to start by just introducing yourself? Tell us who you are. Sure. Uh, So Basically, you know, I I started out with Reiki and things like that, and it very quickly became spiritual for me, and I started channeling messages, and then channeling those messages kept leading me to the subconscious work. It was just over and over and over again. I kept getting pushed into subconscious work, and once I found the tools that I work with now, that's pretty much been my primary focus since then, and so what I do is show people how to remove any kind of emotional trigger. And so there's these these amazing audio tracks that you can use to think about something that's bothering you. And the track basically pulls out all the stops. It like uses every brain retraining modality that's been proven effective and a few little innovations (laughs) since then into one tool that allows you to just let go of whatever it is that's bothering you. And in essence, what it's doing is convincing your subconscious mind that you're safe in the face of a perceived threat. So that's the main work that I do with people. I mean, sometimes we also work on beliefs and self-sabotage and things like that, but it all comes down to emotions. So that's where it always begins. You mentioned that you kind of just, you know, ended up getting into subconscious and conscious work because that's kind of the direction you were being pushed. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit more about why you decided to make that your main focus and what really drew you to studying subconscious and conscious? Sure, absolutely. Uh, You know, I tried to do a lot of work on myself. I, you know, as we all start out kind of seeking to solve our own problems, I found that I was super obsessive, needy, controlling in my relationships. And, you know, especially when the honeymoon phase ended, it would be the end of the world. So I was basically, once I figured out that the problem was me, just trying to solve my own problems. And that's why I got into Reiki and started reading all these self-help books and going to therapy and experiencing all these different methods and modalities and everything. 
And it just became clearer and clearer that the only real way to get long-term results was to address them on the subconscious level, because that's the part of our brain that makes those in the moment decisions. So when we react to something, that's the subconscious mind. When we start doing something in the moment, like, you know, if you consciously have decided, I'm not going to eat this thing anymore. So, you know, I'm not going to eat Oreos anymore. <laughs> and then a week later, you're pigging out on Oreos while you're saying to yourself, I said I wasn't going to eat this anymore. So you're literally putting it in your mouth while you're also acknowledging I said I wasn't going to do this anymore. That is the perfect example of conscious versus subconscious, because the conscious mind believes and understands one set of things and the subconscious believes and understands a completely different set of things. But our actions at least 80% of our actions and reactions are driven by the subconscious. So unless we create change there, we are not going to get long-term lasting relief or act and react the way that we want to or know that we should. So that's why we have to address the subconscious. Yeah, I've definitely been seeing more about, you know, doing subconscious work online on Instagram and TikTok. People have been posting about do the subconscious work, you know, really look at what is driving all of these, you know, disbeliefs and things like that. Um, a term I've also seen used is shadow work. So mm -hmm. would you consider subconscious work and shadow work to be synonymous or do you think they differ? There's a lot of overlap there. And okay. also inner child work is also very much part of that. And I think they all three are extremely interwoven. And one of the best ways to accomplish inner child work and shadow work is to address it on the subconscious level. Because we know there's lots of ways to address those things. You can do energy healing on them. You can do meditation on them. You can just sit with your childhood memories or do a process where you kind of talk to your inner child self or sit there and feel your feelings. But those things aren't necessarily going to permanently fix the reactivity to that stuff. It just helps to address a layer of it or helps to shift your mindset about it or brings a level of temporary comfort around that particular topic. But once you get the subconscious to realize that you're safe in that particular situation, it doesn't continue to come up again and again as a trigger down the road. So that's the, the beauty of addressing it on that deeper level. So, you know, I would say shadow work is just about looking at what are the wounds that you've been through and being able to see that those things are not necessarily a threat, or if we see something similar in our life today that reminds us of something bad that's happened to us before, that doesn't necessarily mean that same bad thing is going to happen to us all over again. But that's what the subconscious thinks, because the subconscious is constantly scanning for what could go wrong, what's missing, what's lacking. What could hurt me? What's similar now to something bad that's happened in the past? And so it's just, it's trying to protect us. It's watching out for us, but it's a little bit over the top with the whole thing. And it's acting like ridiculous little day-to-day -day problems are survival level threats. So 
I feel like subconscious work kind of helps us to be able to really see it, see the situation at the level of threat it actually is instead of seeing it as a survival level threat. Yeah. And when you were describing, you know, the different characteristics of what the subconscious is thinking about, like what's, you know, missing or am I safe or what's the next threat that sounded to me a lot like, you know, this thoughts that I have when I'm experiencing anxiety or an anxiety attack. So do you think that if you kind of tap into the subconscious and work on those things, it could potentially reduce anxiety or is there not enough information on that? Well, it definitely can, but the issue I find typically with anxiety is that it comes from a buildup of all of these times where we've had to suppress and push down a reaction to something, which is absolutely a learned behavior. You know, as children, we get shamed for our strong emotional reactions and things like that. Societally, we get shamed and punished for that. And so we just learn over time. And I mean, also, we haven't been taught healthy coping strategies or the way to healthily express how we're feeling about something. So that's what we learn to do is just repress it. So we stuff down trigger after trigger after trigger. So we've got all of these day-to-day things that bother us big and small, and we just keep stuffing them down, stuffing them down, stuffing them down. Eventually, there's enough of them that they pile up, they create anxiety or panic attacks or things like that to get our attention. And eventually, if we don't pay enough attention to that, it's gonna turn into a physical health issue to get our attention. So we've got to deal with those things. So what I find is though, that people with anxiety are so used to ignoring and tamping down their little day-to-day stressors that they want to work only on the big anxiety instead of the smaller stressors because they don't even see those anymore. They just, you know, have them like, oh, I've got a knot in my stomach, but, or yes, this difficult thing just happened, but I've got to move on with my life. I've got bigger fish to fry. That's not the biggest, baddest thing happening to me. So it just gets stuffed down again. And that's really where anxiety comes from. So in order to address it, we have to start addressing those smaller little day-to-day things that don't seem like the end of the world but bother you or you fixate about them or, you know, they give you that momentary lurch in the gut and all of those things. So working on those, I see anxiety like a brick wall, basically. And so working on the individual bricks, especially some of the foundational bricks, (laughs) like the bigger stuff, uh, really helps to take the wall down overall. The more of those bricks you remove, the more that wall is just naturally going to crumble because your brain is going to see, I'm safe in this situation. I'm safe in this situation. I'm safe in this situation. Maybe if I'm safe in all of these little situations, I'm safe overall. Maybe I don't have to be so hypervigilant every second of every day. And so it just really takes a different amount of that for every person. Like some people could address a few and lose their anxiety, or some people may have to work on a ton or every single brick for the anxiety to go away. Uh, so we don't know that until people get going with it, but <laughs> that's really the best way to address anxiety at large. 
Yeah, that's very helpful information. And I think that'll be good for a lot of people to hear who do struggle with anxiety. And when you did mention, you know, if you suppress the little stuff enough, then, and you're experiencing anxiety, then your body will force you to say, hey, you got to pay attention to this. Conscious work is going to talk therapy, practicing mindfulness, using mindset work, reframing your negative thoughts into positive, um, you know, reading self-help books, learning about codependency, learning about attachment stuff, like all of that is the conscious work. Even sitting and thinking about like, where are some roots of my current issues and, and things like that. Subconscious work is more like, EFT, which most people probably listening to this show have, have heard of EFT, where you tap on certain pressure points while you say mantras or affirmations or work through a difficult situation. Um, but there's also EMDR, which is uh, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing, and is currently looked at as the most effective trauma therapy treatment. But there's, there's one coming up that I'm going to talk about shortly that's actually had one study prove it even more effective. So there's exciting news. There's something even more amazing. Um, but EMDR, basically, it uses bilateral stimulation of your body to create stimulation of both sides of your brain so that you're in a whole brain state to reprocess something traumatic. And it's essentially to remove that memory or that trauma from the amygdala, the fight or flight center of your brain, so that you're not having that traumatic response to it. Um, but there's also NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, there's traditional hypnosis. There's a lot of different methods that you can use to get access to information on the subconscious level, as well as to create change on the subconscious level. Now, the issue with all of the methods and modalities that I just mentioned is that often they don't have a long-term effect the first time you do them. That often you have to go back probably six or seven times for most people in order to get lasting results on any particular topic. So, Depending on which one you're doing, you know, you may have to go to a therapist and sit with them for an hour and think about a traumatic event for that period of time and have to do that six times before that one traumatic event is taken care of and remedied. And it, with EFT, I was talking to somebody about EFT early on and in diving into subconscious work. And I had recommended for a financial fear that she had doing some EFT work on it. And she said, I did. I've done EFT work on that financial issue and it's worse now than it was the first time I did it. So <laughs> the issue with EFT, there's an issue that's deep in your subconscious. It's deep in there. And so you do some work on it and you feel better after a round, but then the next time that trigger arises, it's a little closer to the surface. It may be a little more intense. Then you have to do another round of work on it. And then you'll feel better for a while and then you get triggered about it again. Then you have to do another round. And basically you're working it closer and closer and closer to the surface until it moves its way out of the brain and you're done with it. So with any subconscious modality, you basically have to keep at it until it goes. So, I mean, it's shorter than doing the conscious work, because if you just try to be mindful about a particular trigger or issue, you're still reacting. You're just talking yourself down afterward. 
when you do, and that could take hundreds or thousands of times before you're no longer reactive to that thing. If you're just using your conscious mind, if you do subconscious work, we're talking anywhere from four to 10 rounds, typically for any particular issue to get it gone, which is better than thousands, but it's still a lot of work. So (laughs) then I found this set of tools that are just incredible because they combine every proven brain retraining modality into one method, plus a few other little innovations that nobody had used before. And so it basically, they all fill in each other's blanks. So where each method kind of has its little flaws or, you know, empty spots, when you take all of them and put them together, you get faster results, you get more lasting results. It's just mind blowing. So um, and I'll tell you, the tools that I use are through a company called Orpheus or Orpheus Mind Technologies, and it's an app that you can um, you can access online. And um, it's a subscription service, so it's kind of like the Netflix of emotional healing, where you just you know can subscribe to it. So what you do while you're using these subconscious tools is you think about the thing that's bothering you, and you follow the instructions on the track, which you know there is a little bit of bilaterally stimulating your body uh, because there's hypnotic suggestion or suggestion to your brain about that particular thing that you're working on that's being spoken to you throughout the track. There's also these sounds that are being played throughout the track at random, and you're having to tap to those different sounds. So you're creating stimulation of both sides of your body. You're getting suggestion to your brain about what to do with that memory or that issue. Uh, And essentially, You just come out at the end going, what the hell happened? Why aren't I upset about that thing anymore? Like, (laughs) where did it go? What's going on? Yeah. And that's helpful information too, because sometimes people aren't even aware. People don't even know that this is even a possibility. So I'm really glad that you're kind of bringing more light to it. We talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about the fact that I, you know, like to work with empaths and you know, I myself as an am, am an empath, and I'm assuming you probably are as well. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Most of us that end up in this, you know, any kind of work like this are empathic. So I have found so much benefit in doing this work for my empathic tendencies. But It seems almost like an added bonus that the empathic overwhelm has been taken care of by virtue of doing this work. Um, Because, yes, I have done some subconscious work on in the moment reactions to picking up on other people's stuff and whatever. And it helps in the moment. But I found that the more I did work, on myself and my own triggers, my own past traumas, my own worries and things like that. I was picking up on other people's stuff less and less. So I could choose to tune in to other people, but I didn't just automatically have it happen. Like I wouldn't just be walking down the street or, you know, go into the grocery store or whatever and be overtaken by other people's feelings like I would have before. 
And I realized that what was going on there is that we as empaths are basically, you know, we're carrying our own frequency and the frequency of whatever emotions that we've got going on and, and whatever in our energy fields. And then we come in contact with somebody else in their energy field and they may be feeling anxious or something. And so they've got all these jittery energies and we come in contact with their energy field. And if we have anything in our energy field that resonates with their jitteriness, our jitteriness is going to be set off too. So now we're both standing there being jittery. <laughs> so the more of your own stuff that you heal, you don't resonate with the jittery people or the people with other issues and problems and, and triggers because you've healed those triggers in yourself. So now you can actually hold space for those people without mistaking their stuff as yours, without having it take you over without being inundated with all of this stuff around you. So it's becoming less and less and less frequent over time that I end up feeling other people's stuff or feeling some weird way that doesn't make sense to whatever's going on with me at any given time. And at first I didn't even notice because it was just like life was getting easier. And I figured it was just because I was doing the work. But then I was like, oh, I'm also not, feeling or taking on everybody else's stuff like I used to do. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's a big deal, especially when you are an empath, because it can be very overwhelming, like you said, to constantly have your mood affect. And it is exhausting. It's, it feels like they are going out of their way to drain your energy. Like Most of the time as an empath, it feels like other people are dumping their stuff on you. And, you know, so then there's all these methods of like, okay, put up protective bubbles and put up these barriers and shields around you and whatever. But what I realized early on was that we, they, they aren't putting their stuff on us. We're tuning into them. And we're seeing this more and more, like, I'm sure you've probably seen a reel or a meme or something that talks about being an empath as a trauma response. So... I was talking about this seven years ago, at least, um, but now it's kind of become this, this common um, concept. We, as children, would have somebody in our lives who was not emotionally stable. And so we would tune in, like we would energetically, unconsciously, we weren't consciously making the decision, oh, let me tune in and see how daddy's mood is right now or whatever. We just would unconsciously reach over energetically and see how's dad feeling? How's he behaving? What's up with dad right now? Is it safe for me to be myself? Can I be loud? Can I be playful? Or do I need to hide? Do I need to be really good? What, what do I need to do so that I can survive this situation or not piss anybody off and, and set off, you know, the angry parent or the depressed parent or whatever. So the more we do that, the more of a coping mechanism and safety mechanism that becomes for us so then we start doing it with everybody everywhere all the time. And we're always tuning in. Am I safe here? Am I safe here? What's going on with this person? What's going on with this space? But that's us. We're doing that. That's not all of those people or those places dumping their stuff on us. It's us being nosy and putting our energy where it doesn't belong. So 
I used to do before I, you know, started doing all of this work and stuff. I used to imagine my energy field like it was an octopus and I would pull in all of my energy tentacles so that all my energy was within a couple of feet of my body and I was minding my own business. And I did find that it would make a difference, but just like any other mindfulness practice, that also got exhausting. Just like having to put up a bubble, it's equally exhausting to have to like pull back your tentacles every five minutes because they're going to unconsciously start unfurling and checking people out again. So you got to keep reining it in. So that's just another beautiful bonus that I've seen of doing my own work on myself is being able to just walk around in my life and not (laughs) have to constantly be mindful of where is my energy? What's it tuning into, um, you know, and, and having to protect myself and my energy all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really nice that you have gotten to a place where, like you said, you can pull it in, you can focus on you. You don't have to be distracted on what everyone else is feeling and thinking and what's going on around you. One thing I was going to say when you talked about, you know, empaths are kind of like assessing every single situation. Am I safe here? Am I not safe? Who do I have to be in this situation? How do I have to act here? And I feel like I've done that a lot of my life. And in situations like I've struggled with kind of putting up those walls in certain spots and acting a certain way in one place. And then another, I act a different way. And so a lot of the times people have viewed that as me being kind of superficial or, you know, having like multiple personas and it like kind of comes off as I'm, you know, like trying to be someone else that I'm not, or like fraudulent or those kinds of things. Um, So do you see that to be common with people who haven't healed subconscious work and our empaths? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's definitely, it's a big one. And I've been seeing that being talked out, talked about a lot lately as well. Um, Especially in like the ADHD community and um, anywhere where people are not neurotypical. So I've been seeing a lot of information about that, of like having to mask any self-soothing behaviors and things like that in order to fit in in natural society. So I think all of us with any kind of, you know, any kind of difference whatsoever, we start to alter how we behave around other people in order to please or appease them or to keep ourselves safe or to you know, make other people feel comfortable around us. And I would say even neurotypical people probably have some maskings, but I just think that those of us who are not on some level (laughs) typical have to do it even more so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, how can you get emotional peace in minutes rather than years? With typical work, it often, you know, especially with the conscious work, with reading self-help books, going to therapy, things like that, you're going to see it taking weeks, months, or even years, sometimes even decades to work through particular issues. You know, Howard Stern has been going to extreme psychotherapy three times a week for decades. He's still messed up. He's more emotionally mature than he used to be by a landslide, but he's still messed up and he's got a lot of neuroses. And so (laughs) 
if he were doing the subconscious work on all of those things that he's been talking about in psychotherapy and picking apart little by little, he would be much further along because you can actually take care of a negative emotional reaction or a neuroses or a trigger, whatever, in minutes. It, and so the, the audio tracks that I was talking about, the Orpheus audio tracks, um, the one, my favorite one is the negative emotion destroyer track, because that's the one for the emotional reactivity. Um, they're 12 minutes long. And many people, even on their very first round with it, will start out at, you know, if, if you're going on a scale of zero to 10 of how intense your emotions are, they'll start out with something that's like a seven or an eight. And in their first round, already be down to like a three or a four, if not lower. So <laughs> it's kind of astonishing, considering these are people working on things that have been bothering them for years, or even possibly have been affecting them their whole lives. And to be able to get it down by at least half within 12 minutes is almost ridiculous to fathom. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. Now, of course, it's recommended you do as many rounds as you need to do to get it down to a zero because getting it down to like a one or a zero is where you're going to get the lasting relief. So, you know, you can use it to kind of take something down in the moment, but you want to make sure that, you know, you get it actually gone, gone. Uh, so, you know, I find, especially in the beginning, that can take multiple rounds. And like we were talking about before, it's, it's about tipping the balance of belief in your brain about how safe you are. And so if it's something you have experienced as a threat over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it's going to take probably more than 12 minutes of convincing to get your brain to say, oh, okay, we're safe here. Whereas something that you've only experienced a few times or hasn't been that detrimental to you, you could probably release that pretty quickly. Um, so most people I find though, get to a point where one or two rounds, so 12 to 24 minutes will clear almost anything on wow. an emotional level. So it's, it's ridiculous. And for, for example, I just want to give, you know, cause I know people love stories and examples instead of just, you know, speaking logistics. So <laughs> I had a client who was afraid of, she was so afraid of water that she wouldn't take a bath. She would shower, but she wouldn't take a bath. And she did two rounds of this track on her fear of water and any negative past experiences of water and things like that. And then two days later, she went canoeing she would have never done that. The next week she went tubing, like tubing down a river, waterfall-ish kind of thing. We, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, that's intense. That is an intense yeah. jump there. <laughs> yes. That's a big shift. Um, now to give you another similar example, at least around a phobia. Um, I mean, it, this works on so much more than phobias, but phobias tend to give the biggest example of the shift because these are things that affect your day-to-day -day life. You can't do certain things. You have to, you spend a lot of time avoiding these particular activities because they're so scary to you. So I had another client who was afraid of storms. 
to the point where she would like hide under things if a storm was coming or if a storm was happening. So we did a couple of rounds where she thought about her, we did with the negative emotion destroyer tracks, with her feeling her fear of storms, imagining a storm was happening, thinking of negative things that had happened during storms before, her own father's fear of storms when she was a kid. So she thought about all of that while she did these tracks. And then I think she might've just done one round. And she was like, huh, I'm not really feeling afraid of storms right now, but I know that as soon as another storm hits, I'm gonna freak out. Like, so <laughs> it's really hard for somebody who's been struggling with something their whole lives to imagine that they have let the thing go. And yeah. so a lot of times with a phobia, you also have to follow it up with the fear that the fear will return at the worst possible moment. So she did a round of that too, being afraid that the phobia would come back the next time a storm hit. And then the next time a storm hit, she texted me and said, I just went out and did errands. I was out running around, driving around, going in and out of stores while the storm was happening. And I really couldn't have cared less that the storm was happening. Oh, wow. And when you said you can get it down to zero, like completely get rid of the fear, can you talk a little bit about what internal shifts people are going to recognize that signify, hey, this is down to zero now? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the way that I usually have people measure it is to check in with themselves and imagine that that thing was going to happen to them again this afternoon or that it was happening to them right now. Because a lot of times you can pull up some feelings about like, you know, if you're afraid of flying, you can imagine, you know, kind of closing your eyes get, and imagine yourself getting on an airplane and it taking off and maybe there being turbulence or whatever. You're going to be able to pull up some feelings about that by thinking about it. So once that's been removed, though, you're going to go in and you're going to start replaying those memories and you're going to go looking for where's the feeling, where's the feeling, <laughs> you know, and going... I can't pull up any feeling about that anymore. And so what you're looking for is a physiological response, basically, because when we're triggered by something, there's a chemical reaction that happens. So you might get a knot in your stomach, you might get like a, a flush in your chest or a tightness in your throat, or your heart might start beating more quickly or something like that. So that's really what you're measuring you don't have to necessarily be able to put a name to it. You don't need to say I'm having anxiety or this makes me feel grief or this makes me angry. It's really, you're looking for, you know, is this giving me tightness in my chest? Is it making my heart beat fast? Is it giving me a knot in my stomach? Is it <laughs> giving me the typical response, whether physical or emotional that I would normally have to that idea or that stimulus? And so that's really what you're measuring when you're checking in with yourself to see if you're indeed at a zero or not. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that just so people are aware. So if anybody out there is hearing this episode and they realize, hey, I want to start, you know, working on my subconscious, we obviously have the free resources that you mentioned that will be linked in the show notes, but do you have any other tips, advice, recommendations for people who want to start really diving into their subconscious work and or resources that they can utilize? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you want to start with something simple like EFT, you can go on YouTube 
and just search whatever your problem is with the letters EFT and somebody will walk you through a script to do that. But like I said, you're going to have to do it multiple times for it to be gone, gone, but just keep it, you know, bookmark it, <laughs> keep coming back to it till it's gone. Um, but you can also access the tools that I've recommended. You can look for a therapist who does EMDR or hypnosis or something along those lines. And even with the tools that I recommend and the tutorial that I walk people through, like how to do this work on their own, most people don't know where to start or how to find the original roots and things like that, or to even be able to get far enough away from their own issues to see them from <laughs> a different perspective and be able to pick them apart in the same way that somebody might be able to. So a lot of people just like to work with me so that they can get that, you know, that third party perspective and somebody who can help them find the roots of their issues or even to figure out where to start with which issue to zero in on first and what to be thinking about in order to make sure that you get that issue gone. How do you search for serotonin in your everyday life and what brings you happiness? Mm, how do I search for serotonin in my everyday life? I like listening to audiobooks. And so that's, you know, kind of my go-to or, or music and just, you know, finding my favorite songs and singing as loudly as I can in the car. <laughs> those are, you know, those are some big ways. And then um, there is a meditation technique that I really like. If you've read Joe Dispenza's book, Becoming Superhuman, or Dawson Church's book, Bliss Brain, they both show scientific methods of how to get into the same uh, meditative state that Buddhist monks take like 10,000 hours of practice to achieve. They've kind of nailed down the science and how to just drop into that bliss state. So I sometimes will use that to be able to get into not only serotonin, but dopamine and endorphins and just, you know, Bliss. The final question is where can people find you if they want to work with you, if they just want to follow along, where can they find you? Yes. So first and foremost, Instagram, April Adams Emotion Coach. And then my website is apriladams.org. And the, um, the information with all the different things, there's some freebies on this page and everything, apriladams.org slash my work. So there's freebies on there. There's a link to getting to the subconscious work. So there's kind of a little bit of everything about me on that page that you can check out. Perfect. And for my audience, I will be linking April's Instagram website and those freebies that she mentioned all in the show notes. So if you guys want to access those easily, they'll be available and clickable in the show notes for you. All right, April, thank you so much for being here. I really loved this conversation. I thought you brought some really great information that I think my audience will resonate with and benefit from. So thank you again. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. And I know it's so important that people have this information. And I, that's my goal is to get it to as many ears as possible. Yeah, well, you're always welcome on the podcast. I'm always down to talk about these types of topics. So thank you again. Thanks. All right, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for coming back for another week of the podcast. Also, if you like this episode, go ahead and give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
any ratings and reviews are helpful to me and to the show. So I'd really appreciate if you guys wouldn't mind taking the time to fill those out. All right, you guys, thank you again. I'll see you next Monday. As always, remember that this world is better with you in it.